This episode of Landlording for Life is brought to us by our new sponsor, GotMold.com. Go to GotMold.com backslash Landlording for Life and get 10% off your mold test kit as well as a free ebook to give you an idea of the ways in which mold grow and how you can prevent mold from growing in your properties. Now on to this week's podcast. This is the Landlording for Life podcast, where landlords explore their success and stories of failure while building a foundation to improve upon. Here's your host, Sean Morrissey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Landlording for Life. As always, thanks for tuning in with us this week on another great episode. So today, we're going to talk about the topic of mold, right? Not only a topic that's critical for landlords to understand, but homeowners in general. So we have on the line with us today a gentleman by the name of Jason Earl. Jason is the founder and CEO of 1-800-GOT-MOLD, the mold inspection company, and the Got Mold Test Kit, which we'll talk a little bit about here towards the end of the show. Uh, but yeah, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Sean. Yeah, man, Thanks. you you betcha. So as we do with all our guests, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what got you started in the mold remediation industry. Well, Sean, you know, like uh, mold is a funny subject because uh, there isn't really an academic uh, track for this. There's no real coursework to end up in the mold or mold assessment or mold remediation business. So a lot of people end up in, in this industry kind of accidentally. Mine was was uh, was accidental uh, with a kind of a twist of intention to it. Um, I, 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 I got into the industry uh, based upon my awareness or the, the, the realization that my childhood home uh, had been the underlying cause of my respiratory illness as a child. Um, so if you rewind all the way back, when I was about four years old, I had uh, suddenly lost a lot of weight in a three-week period. My parents took me to the pediatrician, and they, they suggested to take me directly to Children's Hospital because I was having some uh, pretty distressed breathing. And uh, the, the initial diagnosis uh, based upon family history and, and, and the symptoms I was presenting with was a cystic fibrosis, which was a devastating diagnosis, of course. Uh, it, it, then it was a death sentence. Um, but uh, they uh, – and my father had lost four of his cousins to, to CF by the age of 14. So it was – it hit really close to home. Um, six weeks later, they got a second opinion. And uh, it turns out that I didn't have cystic fibrosis, evidenced by the fact that I sit here at 45 years old. Uh, but also, uh, but more importantly, uh, what, I, what I did have was asthma compounded by pneumonia. Uh, and when they tested me for allergies, back then they did this in sort of a, a straitjacket straight for toddlers. Uh, and they drew a grid on my back, and, and they exposed me to these different allergens or antigens. And my, my dad said I looked like a ladybug. My back just blew up like a big red bubble with a with, uh, dots all over it. And so um, I basically, uh, you know, I was allergic to everything, grass, wheat, corn, eggs, dogs, cats, cotton. So my clothes, everything was, everything was, and I grew up on a non-working farm. So I was surrounded by all these things, dogs, cats, grass, wheat, corn, eggs, soybeans, cotton, everything. And so I basically lived on inhalers until I was about 12. And then my folks split up uh, and moved out of the house uh, and my symptoms went away. And I never thought about it again until after a successful career on Wall Street where I was sitting here literally reading in a local newspaper. I was in Hawaii and I was reading a story about a guy who'd gotten sick from the hotel where he was working uh, that had had a severe mold problem. And anybody who's been around the real estate business would, might remember the Hilton Kalia Tower. It was big headlines back in the early 2000s for this mold problem. And I happened to be in Hawaii 
in sort of ground zero for that particular subject, by the way, right after September 11th, uh, uh, speaking of ground zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually why I left Wall, right around the time that I left Wall Street. And so uh, lo and behold, I'm sitting there reading about this huge mold problem, which initially they thought was a half a million dollar problem. Then it became a $5 million problem. And then it became a $55 million problem. By the time the dust settled and the smoke cleared, uh, after they basically gutted the building, threw everything away, uh, yeah, that no, was it was it was major headlines all over the real estate world uh, at the time, and also of course all over Hawaii. And so I was again there, uh, spending some time after trying to figure out what my next career was going to be. And, uh, and I read about this guy who got sick from the building that he was working in, and the story was really interesting. It was like a deja vu, but kind of in reverse, because here this guy is in his 40s, and he had been otherwise healthy, and suddenly developed all these sensitivities to foods and and other environmental allergens that he had always been fine with, um, and he developed adult onset asthma, which is what really caught my attention. I'd never even heard of that before. And uh, so, so for me, it was like the light, the, the, the light bulb went on because here I was, four, you know, four years old, I was, I was ill from a potentially some, some other irritant loan, lo and behold, when I moved out, all my symptoms went away. And I, so I just wondered if mold was the issue. And I, and I, and I thought about it for a while and I contacted my father and I said, Hey, you know, I just read this piece and just, yeah, had some questions and you think we had a mold problem. And he just laughed at me. He's like, of course we had mold. You know, we had mushrooms in the basement. <laughs> well, of course we had mold. And it was just so funny for him because he, he so flippantly uh, just thought, well, of course, you know, basements have mold. That, that's what the, the generation I grew up in, you know, my parents both smoked. I was asthmatic. They smoked yeah. in the car with the windows, with the windows closed. Yeah. And it wasn't for love, for lack of care. It was a lack of awareness. And, and, and back then mold was, 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 was not even on the radar. Um, and so, uh, you know, the generation before that thought cigarettes were healthy. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, the bottom line is I ended up uh, having this 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 epiphany uh, and I immediately realized that uh, that there was something here for me in terms of my curiosity, specifically not about mold, but about the way buildings that we live and work in impact our health. That's really what interests me. That's what that's what drives me. See, we spend 90 percent of our time indoors. And if you include transportation, some of us even spend more, uh, depending upon the climate. In Dubai, they spend 99.9% of their time indoors. And so you start looking at what we're so worried about, the outdoor environment, outdoor air quality, pollution, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not giving the adequate amount of time uh, or attention, rather, to the place where we spend most of our time. And and the, and the air that we have in our, in our house is not just the, most, the, the air that we have most exposure to. It's also the air that we constantly re-breathe. So it would be like breathing in and out of a paper bag. We're constantly breathing the same air over and over again. And so if there is a pollutant in the house, whether it be mold or chemicals like VOCs, you're being chronically exposed to those particular compounds. And we know from other ailments that you know chronic exposure to any one thing any one thing is potentially harmful in the long run. And so bottom line is that when I look at this this industry, what I, what I thought was what everyone is so worried about so many things in their life that they can't control. And here's this one place where we have almost complete control over our own domain. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up a great point in stating that so much of our lives is actually spent indoors. I mean, I've never thought about 90 to 95 percent, but certainly the last year, right? COVID related. Everybody's been indoors, um, especially north of, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the Mason-Dixon line, right? And we're, we're, we've got to deal with snow and all that stuff, too. So all those things considered, um, mold is really uh, a topic that isn't talked about enough. And uh, I think that's what makes it such a great topic today. So let's go ahead. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit and uh, see what we can learn today. The, the first thing I wanted to talk about were 
you know, the components necessary for mold to actually survive. So, you know, we're, we're aware of what mold is on a visual or maybe even like a, a smell characteristic, but we don't necessarily understand why it's there, or how, why it wants to grow where it grows. And I'm hoping maybe you can explain that to us. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, a mold problem is a moisture problem. And so if you don't have moisture, if you don't have excess moisture, uh, or if you don't have, if, if, if you have any sort of dampness, uh, for 24 to 48 hours or longer, uh, you can start to get microbial growth. See, the, th the thing about mold is that mold is part of the kingdom fungi, which is, uh, is a massive part of our, of our Earth's uh, uh, biomass, about a third of the Earth's biomass, the stuff that's living or what was at one time living, is actually fungi. Uh, and mold is just a small part of that. And mold's job is to turn things back into dirt. You're, it's doing its job when it's doing that to leaves in your yard. It's not supposed to do that to your house. And so the reason that the, the uh, and by the way, mold spores are so ubiquitous. I mean, uh, this is a fascinating statistic I just picked up the other day um, that uh, fun, fungal spores generate 50 megatons, 50 megatons or rather fungi generates 50 megatons of spores uh, every year, which is equivalent of, of, of 500,000 blue whales. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the largest, uh, largest source of biological particulate uh, in the world, and that's just – that's the kingdom fungi. So you, in terms of mold spores, they are everywhere. Fun, fungal spores are everywhere, and they're like microscopic seeds just waiting for the right conditions to be present, specifically the right amount of moisture, the right temperature. They also require oxygen, which of course is all the stuff that we like. We like a comfortable temperature. We like a little bit of moisture, and we have an oxygen-rich environment. And so mold likes the same environment that we do, except it likes it when the, when the environmental balance tips into dampness. Uh, and that's when you start to see this, the, the microscopic seeds or spores uh, begin to germinate. They begin to release enzymes. They start to digest what they're, what the, whatever they're on. And if that means it's sheetrock, it's sheetrock that's, that's, that, that they're having, it's having for dinner today um, or if it's leaves in your yard where it properly should be. And so in all cases, when you've got a moisture a mold problem, you actually have a moisture problem. And people get distracted by the mold because it's smelly and it makes you sick and it's ugly and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, mold equals moisture. Okay, got it. So moisture is the primary culprit. However, oxygen, room temperature, you brought up a dampness of 24 to 48 hours can create mold growth. Those are all going to be the components necessary to create a, you know, I guess a moldy environment per se. Right. So you can't control those. Uh, all, the, all the variables that are that, that, or all the components of, of, of an environment that's conducive to mold, which is, again, temperature, food source, um, you know, a lot like us, right? we have to have a comfortable temperature, food source, uh, oxygen, and then of course, moisture, you can't control any of those components except for the moisture. Yeah. Um, and everything else is already sort of on the buffet. Yep. It's already part of the, those are the resources available to, 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 uh, to mold. Um, and so a lot of people, like I said, they get distracted by the mold. And I, I actually am looking more and more at the building. I'm, pl I'm playing with this metaphor as the, as the building as an extension of the immune system um, or more as a thought, pro a, thought, a thought process. Because really a building is sort of an exoskin or an exoskeleton. It protects you from the environment. In fact, it, I mean, shelter is one of the basic four human needs, right? Yeah. Uh, it's air, water, food, shelter. And people forget about that. They think you know that these are just these static things, but really we we couldn't survive without them, much like a hermit crab, right? Um, and so 
at the end of the day, uh, how, how we, how we, what our relationship is like with our building dictates a, a lot of this. And if we're just looking at, at, at a building as, like I said, a, a box made of sticks and sheetrock, then we're not going to be able to really engage the way I'm suggesting. Because at the, at the, when, when you're dealing with mold, you have to look at the, the, the building as a dynamic organism, so to speak, which has a birthday and potentially a death day. The longevity of that building is contingent on how you care for it. And when you look at the aches and pains that buildings develop, again, using the building as a body, uh, 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 as a metaphor, if they, but buildings develop aches and pains, uh, just like when your body develops aches and pains, the first message you get is inflammation. Uh, the, the, first me- building, uh, the first message you get with a building is you get a little bit of a moisture issue, a leak, Right, a little dampness, and the first thing that grows when you have that is moisture, is, is mold, right? A little bit of dampness within, according to the EPA, just to reiterate, within 24 to 48 hours of uncontrolled dampness, you can have microbial growth, and so that first signal that you get is that musty odor, and that's not that's not mold being a bad guy or mold doing something nefarious. That's mold actually sending you a signal that your building has 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 an issue to deal with, and like the body, if you don't deal with inflammation. It will continue to grow, and eventually that inflammation will become go from acute inflammation, which is something you deal deal with, you know, as a uh, on an immediate basis, to chronic inflammation, which can lead to other disease. Same thing happens with the bot with with the with the building, where you end up with the chronic dampness as opposed to a, a, an acute uh, moisture issue, which you quickly clean up. Chronic dampness leads to the more aggressive types of molds too, which are always in headlines, black molds and toxic molds. Those are the, the symptom of chronic dampness. Chronic dampness is its own disease, just like chronic inflammation can create its own disease. Mm. And so the bottom line is really looking at mold as a signal, as, as, a, as, as a messenger, if you will, um, is, is a healthier way to look at at at, uh, at mold growth in your building. Okay. It's your first signal. Okay, cool. And you know what? Another question I had in that same realm is, you know, we're familiar with mold, but I'm not necessarily familiar with the differences between mold and mildew. And I'm wondering, how would you differentiate those two, mold and mildew? Yeah, so technically speaking, mildew grows on plants uh, outdoors. It's actually, that that's a very technical answer, uh, believe it or not. Uh, because it, it's actually a plant pathogen, but 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 what we when we talk about the difference between mold and mildew indoors, what we're talking about is mildew is typically typically a hygiene related um, uh, mold growth. So okay. it would be the kind of stuff that grows in your tile in your bathroom, uh, you know, around the 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 perimeter of your refrigerator gasket, right? This is a low level growth that doesn't present a potential harm to anybody, uh, except for the extreme people with extreme sensitivities and those people do exist. Mold um, is generally the same organism, but the the distinction to make between mold and mildew might be more, what's the difference between mold, because every house has some, and a mold problem. Right. Because the distinction between mold and a mold problem is similar to the distinction between mold and mildew. Mildew is really, like I said, that that sort of basic hygiene. You know, you didn't scrub the, you didn't, you didn't clean the tiles. You haven't been running your bathroom exhaust vent. Then you got that stuff that's gone. Um, the difference between mold and a mold problem is very similar. Where mold can, mold is is present in your house in the form of spores, maybe present in small areas where there may be some mildew, but where you have any degree of significant mold of any uh, mold growth 
to any to, to any degree of significance, um, where uh, there's an odor, where people are starting to have symptoms. Uh, and certainly, if there's anything visible, uh, that's where you start to, to to need to take some action. Got it. Okay. So, how do we know the difference between whether a mold is toxic or non toxic? That's a great question. It's one of the most common questions that we get because the media has done a great job of, of sort of distilling and isolating one kind of mold that's bad or, or a particular group of molds based upon their color, uh, which is, of course, a hypersimplification that you know the, the, the news media uh, does better than anybody. But the, but the bottom line is that there, is, there are molds that produce toxins, uh, and those molds are, are – are actually indicative of chronic dampness. So they are, they do in fact tell a story. Um, and, and, and the, the, the health effects are, are not well studied because you can't really study with mold toxins on people. Um, but, uh, but the bottom line is that see the conditions that are present that allow for those kinds of molds to grow are unhealthy for any human being by themselves. Dampness is the enemy here. This is the key. Um, and this is the takeaway that, that, that I always want people to have, which is that um, instead of looking at this symptom like inflammation and treating the inflammation, right? People used to treat the inflammation, just treat the inflammation. But what's the cause of the inflammation? The dampness is the issue. And so the more serious the dampness, the more serious the issue. Uh, and so when it comes down to whether a mold is toxic or not, um, it's kind of a fool's, a fool's game. Um, at the end of the day, uh, believe it or not, some of those toxins are actually uh, antibiotics. A lot of them, of the, of the, uh, of the uh, uh, Nearly 100,000 antibiotics that are, that, are, that are out there, believe it or not. About 14,000 come from fungi. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so, so the toxins, mold toxins, is a scientific term that's been, again, upended uh, as, as, it's, as this evil thing. Um, in fact, by the way, mold toxins have been used as chemical weapons in the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, widely believed that those pictures of people laying on the side of, on the street bleeding out of their orifices was from T2 toxin, which just comes from a, from a, uh, a black mold cousin. Um, but that being said, the exposure in homes, the question that the, the, there's a big debate as to whether or not that that toxic mold even really does affect people indoors if you, if it would be in, inhalable, et cetera. In all cases, if you can get rid of that whole entire argument and just say if you've got damp, if you've got mold growth, get rid of it. That's yeah. it. And trying to trying to figure out what kind of mold you have, whether it's good good mold, bad mold. There's no such thing as good mold growth in your house unless it's in your refrigerator on the on the brie or, or in your beer. <laughs> well said. Okay, so how do we go about controlling the mold environment? And I know you're gonna first thing you'll say is dampness, but I guess how do we go? What are some of the best tools we can use to control dampness? And then you know, with that in mind, you know, what are some ways we might be able to actually just kill mold? And I'm sure there's some chemical cleaners we could just buy off the shelves. But I'm wondering what recommendations yeah for each yes so uh in terms of uh the the best way to kill mold is you don't believe it or not uh, and this is kind of counterintuitive uh mold doesn't actually need to be killed in fact all the things that you would use to kill mold introduce a new toxin ah. uh, there are some there are some peroxide based and some other more, more inert uh mold cleaners or, or what they call you know uh, people mold remediation chemicals um but in all cases, these are being used as um, as a substitute for good old fashioned remediation. There is the industry standard, which is called the IICRC S520, uh, the International Institute of Cleaning and Restoration Contractors. Um, they they have a, a variety of different standards for water damage and mold remediation and and, and, and other other um, um, other other trades, and uh, they specifically 
state that there is no use for biocides, which is any chemical used to kill things that are living biocide. Um, and uh, they, they specifically say not to use that unless there's concern about sewage or a bacterial issue, okay. uh, which does require sanitization. Uh, but mold is uh, because, again, it's a, it's a normal part of our environment. The spores themselves, the fungal growth need to be the symptoms of, or, the, or the, the mess that mold makes needs to be cleaned up. But that needs to be cleaned up using HEPA filter vacuum cleaners and special wipes. Uh, this is why mold remediation done by a qualified professional looks a lot different than than, than being done by maintenance staff. Uh, mold remediation done by a qualified professional will involve isolating the work area with poly, ventilating it with negative, with, with, creating negative air pressure inside of it a lot like asbestos or lead paint or any other environmental remediation, uh, and then a thorough a removal of all of the building materials that cannot be cleaned. Uh, so that means sheetrock. Sheetrock can't be cleaned. Carpet, carpet padding cannot be cleaned, believe it or not. I know everybody wants to do it. Ceiling tiles, anything porous and absorptive cannot be cleaned. Those things are removed. Uh, and the rule of thumb is you remove everything that's damaged and then everything within two feet. That's uh, that's the porous stuff. You're leaving behind anything that's, that's, that's structural. So studs. Flooring, you know, uh, uh, joists, things like that, and any of the any of the structural members stay. Uh, you you remove all the building materials that can't be cleaned, and then you clean everything else. There is no place for for chemicals whatsoever, um, and the reason for that is manifold. Number one, the point is to remove the toxins, not to add them. Uh, number two, there is no place, there is no need to come. Well, it doesn't make it easier to clean it. There's all these, all these uneducated uh, 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 suppositions that, that a lot of contractors uh, they, they think they're going to pass uh, clearance testing uh, if they use the chemicals. They don't understand how clearance testing works. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of misguided and I think well-intended uh, contractors out there that, that think that they're going to do. And also, they're introducing a lot of these uh, chemicals have associated odors. Uh, and those odors uh, do, a, do, a, um, do a doozy on people who have sensitivities to, uh, to mold because uh, mold sensitivities and chemical sensitivities often come hand in hand. Interesting. Um, and, yeah, and you'll see that any, anybody who's a landlord will, will, on this show will really appreciate that because the sensitive people uh, that are renting from you are sensitive to – uh, a lot, and 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 there is actually there's a there's a, a diagnosis is called a toxin induced loss of tolerance or tilt, uh, and it, and it's a it's similar to multiple chemical sensitivities, and some people get it from mold exposure, believe it or not, from chronic exposure. Huh. Some people also get it from being exposed to chemicals uh, for a long period of time, where they just develop this incredible sensitivity. It's a reverse image addiction, um, where they're actually repellent to it, and they can it can really shut them down. And they, so those people used to be marginalized, uh, and it used to be something like. Like one or two percent of the population, and there's estimates that it might be as much as five percent of the population. We have a chemical society, so we need to introduce less chemicals into our environment. And by removing mold, you're helping to do that. And by not introducing chemicals during mold remediation, you're further helping. Yeah, makes good sense. Awesome. So, what would you recommend when it comes to controlling dampness in a building, um, so that you can control the the mold growth, right? What would you yep. recommend? Well, so it, it depends on the climate, right? Because every, you know, in, in Canada, the moisture problems that you have, depending upon the season, uh, may be derived from external internal sources. Uh, you know, a lot of humidity from uh, during uh, during the winter months gets trapped in in the in the northern uh, territories. Uh, but when it comes down to the um, 
uh, when it comes down to the south, you know, mo- a lot of the moisture is actually coming in from the outside. Uh, and so you end up with a, uh, a different dynamic in terms of where how you're how you're managing the moisture in your building. But in all cases, um, the best thing for you to do is 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 get um, uh, get gauges, get get humidity gauges and place them wh- wh- wherever uh, you think there might be a potential problem. The rule of thumb is you want to keep it between 40 and 60 percent. Um, that's according to ASHRAE, which is the American Society of Heating and Refrigeration and Air Conditioning Engineers. Um, 40% is the low end. Below that, you start to get uncomfortable and people start to develop you know, dry sinuses and things like that, which causes other issues. And then above 60%, you start to develop uh, the the, uh, the possibilities or the increased possibilities of condensation um, and, and, and surface dampness, especially in areas where you end up with mold growth and dust mites and all sorts of other things. Mold is the first... Oh, is the is the first uh, uh, the first party that arrives when you've got dampness, but along alongside of it come all these other creepy crawlies. You've got dust mites, and mold mites, and um, mold mites rather, uh, and then behind them you've got various different insects that come in and eat those guys, and then and then next thing you know you've got the rodents that come in and they eat the insects. It's like that old Mother Hubbard uh, rhyme, right, where they, they just keep. There's an entire ecosystem, and so again, controlling the moisture keeps all of those guys from coming. And so you want to make sure that you're vigilant about running dehumidifiers in in, in climates where that's necessary. You want to make sure that you don't turn off your air conditioning in vacant buildings. This is a huge, Ah, huge recommendation. Um, You should not turn the heat off, for that matter, in vacant buildings. Uh, You should keep the building as if people were living in it. If you don't, then what happens is you end up inviting other creatures that like that climate. <laughs> right? Yeah. You create you create you're creating an alternative ecosystem, if you will, or an ecology rather, uh, which can create an alternative ecosystem. And so basically if you you have to treat that building as if people are living in it, otherwise you'll end up with condensation. Um, I see I see people all the time. This happens in schools every year. September is mold awareness month. We created it about 15 years ago uh, because we saw so many schools open for for, for, for the new school year and then close immediately thereafter because the maintenance staff went in and, and shampooed the rug but turned off the AC. Well, the mm-hmm. AC is a big dehumidifier. And they also didn't extract all the water out. Next thing you know, you got to steam bath in there and we'd go in there and we see colonies the size of beach balls on, on the on the desks and on, on the carpets and stuff. And so the bottom line is, you know, they're trying to save whatever percent of their budget on on utilities and they just blew out their budget with a $250,000 mold remediation bill. Yeah, and I, I think the point you're making there, which is, Something I can relate to as a housing provider here for almost 20 years is that ultimately air movement is critical, right? And that's the uh, that's kind of the name of the game in conjunction with dampness. So, for instance, this this summer I had an issue with uh, a mansard roof, right? A roof that actually hangs over the side of a building, and I was having some mold issues in the corners of the drywall on the interior of a unit. And what I came to find out was that ultimately the venting system on the mansard roof was completely clogged from years of having to breathe and um, ended up going through and switching out all the, the ventilations, all the vents for that mansard roof and bada bing, bada boom, problem solved. Um, so air of movement coupled with controlling dampness seems to be the the best ways to control humidity and and can and, and and with that in mind control mold i mean is that is that fair to say at this point based on our conversation no doubt about it you know it's it, it, it ventilation is a big deal 
proper insulation is also a big deal. A common problem people have in um, in buildings, uh, especially that are poorly insulated, or that are a, a lot of times in, in a lot of the rent rental situations that we've been in, um, the tenant complains because there's mold. Uh, we go in, check it out, and you know half the time it's the building, half the time it's it's lifestyle, mm. uh, and and sometimes that lifestyle is simply that they have too much stuff in too small of a place, right? It's the nature of an apartment often. And, and so they'll, they'll have stuff stacked in the corners. Now, on the outside corners, it's very common for people to move stuff suddenly, especially if it's a closet. But outside corners, you move stuff and you and suddenly there's mold all over that stuff, especially in the corners down by, down, down by the ground. And people think, oh, my God, I must have a leak or what's going on here. But what's happening is, is that the all the moisture from the house – is is being generated from cooking and cleaning and showering and all this stuff, and the humidity rises above sixty percent in most cases uh, when this happens, and the moisture will will just will find the coldest spot. Well, the coldest spot is going to be right against that north corner wall down behind the the, the head of the bed, the 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 the, uh, um, the headboard, so to speak, and where there's stuff piled up against it, and the warm the room can't get warm, that area can't get warm, and all the moisture condenses on there. So there are hidden issues like that that pop up, which goes to your point about ventilation. You want to have as much ventilation as possible. You want to make sure that your roof assemblies are ventilated. Uh, the only exception to ventilation being the solution to a mold problem is in crawl spaces, believe it or not. Um, and most crawl spaces are vented, and that actually is what causes the mold problem in crawl spaces. So it's very counterintuitive. Okay. Yeah, those crawl spaces need to be closed up, sealed up, and dehumidified. They need no dirt crawls. Um, you have to have a, either a vapor barrier or a, or a slab. Um, and uh, yeah, crawl spaces are, and this is sending up alarms for everyone here who owns buildings with crawl spaces, but we consider crawl spaces to be a building defect. Ah, interesting. Okay. Awesome. And that, that's a piece of gold right there for our listeners. So crawl, crawl spaces ultimately can be considered a building defect. They should have a vapor barrier, really preferably no dirt crawls and sealed off the best way possible with dehumidifier running year round, depending on the climate. Yeah, some people, so there, there, there's a, your, your uh, listeners can Google this. Uh, uh, I, I want to say crawlspaces.org, uh, but it, there's a there was a, a, a large study done in North Carolina uh, where they they outline exactly how to do this. But basically, crawl spaces that are not properly engineered are are, are considered a building defect, okay. and so that would mean that they have to be either brought into the building envelope, heated and cooled just like the rest of the space, which means that generally they have to be cleaned first or in new construction, you can do that, you know, pro- proactively. Uh, but if it's an existing crawl space, you would probably not want to go through that and you'd end up just closing everything off, insulating the, uh, insulating the foundation walls as best you can, uh, and then and then dehumidifying that space. Some people run supply lines down with a backflow damper just to get conditioned air down there to dilute it, to reduce the humidity. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is crawl spaces are very expensive problem uh and they are and also keep in mind that we're running our our utilities through there too so that yeah. includes ducting including supply vents and more importantly return vents which suck air from the space that they run through so return vents are running through there and in fact a lot of times the, air, the equipment is down there which is just totally insane um and so you, you're running your air supply you're running your lungs of your building through the probably the most unhealthy space yeah. in the structure yeah, no, no kidding. Okay, well, I guess that that creates reasons to get a high efficiency furnace and get some air from the outside. Um, yeah, no doubt about it. So, what are some of the best ways we can test for mold this day and age? 
Well, so if you want to have your half tested for mold right now, uh, you you can either go to Home Depot and, and you'll see that there's all these little petri dish test kits at, at the checkout. Uh, those are scientifically invalid, uh, but they sell hundreds of millions of dollars worth of those every year. Uh, and they're basically Petri dishes uh, that you're supposed to put on your counter. And if it grows mold, it tells you something. Unfortunately, they always grow mold. You could do the yeah. same thing with a piece of damp white bread. It's a sixth grade science experiment, you know, gone wrong. Uh, and, and by the way, if you're concerned about mold in your house, if you're concerned about mold growth in your house, the first thing you should do is probably not grow more. And that's what these guys are advocating that you do. Um, But anyway, so that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is to hire a professional. And this is oftentimes the best step. However, it is wrought with with various different uh, pitfalls. Number one, it's hard to find a qualified independent inspector. Uh, and an independent inspector does not have a remediation business. His brother doesn't have a remediation business. Uh, his cousin doesn't have one. Uh, and they don't do, and, 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 and the bottom line is that he, he doesn't have any sort of financial relationships with anybody who's a service provider, repairs or remediation. Uh, and his job or her job would be to come in and do a proper inspection, assess the, the extent of the issue, develop a scope of work or a remediation plan, uh, and then help you select contractors or vet them. So, and then show up at the end to make sure that they've done their job and do the requisite testing. Uh, air testing is this is the is this is the standard for mold testing uh, using something called spore traps. There are lots of other kinds. There's also ERMI, which is a DNA based. Uh, there are, there are tests you can take for the musty smell or for the VOCs. Um, but in in most cases, the most important part of, of an assessment is actually the inspector, and so that's why you'll expect to spend fifteen hundred dollars or more for an average inspection. I'm sure you can get you can get them a lot cheaper, especially if if uh, if you've got a an existing relationship with someone. But the most important part is that they, there's no conflict of interest um, and, and, and that they are uh, properly trained in mold um, and because home, home inspectors are, are patently unqual- unqualified for this. Uh, you, wanna, you, can, you can go on iaqa.org uh, to find a, uh, a professional. ACAC is another organization uh, that's, that's reputable uh, that certifies uh, indoor air quality professionals. Awesome. So IAQA.org. Uh, IAQA okay. and ACAC. Now, right in the middle of between this, this, this big spectrum of $10 test kits that don't work and $1,500 professional inspections, um, and it's very hard to find these qualified professionals. There are not that many of them, and, uh, and, 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 and quite frankly, they're busy. Uh, and they also don't market themselves very well. You know, they're technicians. Uh, and oftentimes they're very independent. There's no national company. 1-800-GOT-MOLD, our mold inspection business, uh, it just we, we only cover the the, uh, the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, I guess Connecticut and, and Delaware as well. Um, but, you know, there, there just aren't many that, that are bigger than, than, than these regional companies like ours. Uh, right in the middle of this, uh, this spectrum, though, are some do-it-yourself test kits that allow you to use the same devices the professionals use, but instead of a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, you might spend you know a hundred, two hundred, two hundred fifty dollars, and that's what we created was the Gottmold test kit. That's the reason that we created it was because uh, there really is this vast span of of options, all of which are confusing and a few of which are valid. Uh, and so what we did was we uh, we we uh, did a deal with the number one lab in the country, um, MLAP and K, uh, and and so they're our exclusive partner. And uh, so for uh, for uh, starting at $149, you can go if you go to gotmold.com, you can test the air in up to three rooms 
uh, without any of the cost or hassle of finding and hiring a professional. Um, and uh, and so this gives you the same same exact devices, which is uh, we use the spore trap technique, uh, the same same one used by inspectors all over the world, uh, and uh, and we get you the same quality results, the same accredited results uh, from from the top lab in the country for for a fraction of what a professional cost you. So beautiful. Um, and so, it, yeah, I yeah. guess how can our listeners actually? Uh, find out where to buy a mold kit like that or just find out more information about you as we wrap up today's show. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we, uh, for your listeners, we put together a, a page, a welcome page uh, at gotmold.com slash landlording for life. Uh, and there we have uh, a discount coupon. You can uh, for 10% off of any of our test kits, uh, as well as an ebook that we put together. Um, I don't even, do people still call them ebooks? Um, I'm not, I feel so 1999 yeah, saying ebook, it's, but it's still a thing in my world. It's still a thing. So <laughs> it's a, it's a digital guide. Uh, oh, it's an, it's a, uh, called how to find mold and it's, uh, it's filled with inspection checklists and, and, and FAQs and a lot of the stuff we talked about today, some of the counterintuitive stuff about, you know, cleaning agents and biocides and stuff like that. We talk about all that stuff in there. Um, and so that's also there for free, uh, for, for your listeners. We get a lot of, a lot of really positive feedback on that, uh, on that, uh, on that ebook. Love it, man. Yeah. I mean, this was a, this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for some time. Very landlord housing provider specific, um, something everybody deals with, right? But probably doesn't want to talk about because it's it's yucky stuff. But indoor air quality, folks, that's the way to go. Um, so, Jason, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Yeah, you betcha. So as we wrap up today, if you like what you heard, make sure you leave a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll see everybody back next week with another great episode. Until that time, everybody, thanks. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review and join our Facebook group to share your deals and ideas by searching at Landlording for Life. See you next time. They do not reflect the views and opinions of Chicagoland Realty Group Partners or Chicagoland Leasing and Property Management Incorporated. Any advice provided should be reviewed with a financial, tax, or legal professional and should not be considered personal information. This presentation is for educational purposes only and is deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee timeliness or completeness.